This is recording number 10791 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the second message in the Thank God series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 16, 2008. This message is titled, For Mercy. continue today a series of messages we began last week um, on the theme, Thank God. Because, as I said last week, I think that uh, Thanksgiving, the, Christ, the, uh, excuse me, the American holiday of Thanksgiving is being lost. The meaning, the, the value of it is being lost. Oh, we still will take the day off and we'll still have a lot of food and those are great things. But the meaning of it is being lost. So I've decided for these three Sundays leading up to uh, Thanksgiving that we would be talking about some of the things that I am particularly grateful for. And I know that's a little self-serving for me to sort of hijack our Sunday morning um, teaching times to talk about things that I am grateful for, but my hope and prayer is that as I do so, something of your own heart's gratitude will be able to hitchhike on that. And uh, so last week I talked about how I am grateful for you, and today we're going to be talking about how I am, I am grateful for mercy. Now the love of God, uh, how many of you would raise your hand to say you're thankful for the love of God? Yeah, if you don't have your hand up, you are in serious trouble. <laughs> We are thankful for the love of God. And, you know, there's a lot of things that God is. The Bible says that he is love. But that's not all that God is, but it's a, it's a big part of who he is. God is love. Well, embedded in that aspect of who God is, his lovingness, are several things as well. And the two of them uh, often get confused. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy are parts of God's love. But those two words get tossed around interchangeably. And I'll be honest, in the Bible, sometimes those words are used interchangeably. So I'm not a real stickler about making sure that we always, you know, are precise with the way that we use those two words. But there really are distinct meanings behind the word grace and the word mercy as it applies to the love of God. And today, I want to focus on mercy. Why? Because I believe that God's mercy is probably the hardest thing for us to receive. We have pictures in our mind of, you know, uh, some criminal that has been convicted in a court of law. And isn't it interesting that, that criminals will maintain their innocence all the way up to the point where they are uh, judged to be guilty and then they plead for mercy. <laughs> but we have that picture in our mind of someone who is, you know, dead to rights, cold stone, guilty, pleading for mercy. And, you know, it's just distasteful to us. We don't like to picture ourselves in that position of, of pleading for mercy. So that kind of comes into our thinking when we think about the mercy of God and the distastefulness of even though we know we... We, uh, we don't measure up to God's standards. We know that we are sinners. Uh, intuitively, we know that. But, but still, even that, to, to see ourselves as you know, in need of the mercy of God is tough for us. It's because of our pride and on and on. 
But another aspect of the whole thing of mercy that's difficult for us is if you've ever been on the receiving end of someone's mercy, and I'll explain what, what mercy is in a minute. Um, I, just, I guess maybe this is the time to do that. <laughs> the difference between grace and mercy is this, pretty simple. Grace is God providing to me that which I don't deserve. His forgiveness, eternal life, his blessings. I don't deserve any of that. And yet God is lavishing those things on me. He is giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is God holding back from me that which I do deserve. The Bible says the wages of sin, what I earn for sin is death. How I many you know there's a lot of different ways to die? And that, that wave of death deserves to crash over me in all of its ramifications. But God is holding that back in his mercy. So if you've ever been on the receiving end of someone's mercy, what they've held back from you is something that you deserve. You tend to feel indebted to them. And rightly so. But we don't like, again, for reasons of our pride and so forth, we don't like that either. You know, I'll give you an example. When I was working for Cisco Systems a few years ago, when Sue and I were planting a, a church in the Silicon Valley, I worked for a high-tech company part-time. And uh, make a long story short, uh, I, it was during the height of the Internet bubble, and we were working round the clock. You couldn't keep up with the work. And, and I was working in the, I was a bean counter. I was working in the accounting department. And my job was to, uh, along with a whole bunch of other people, to pay the company's bills. And uh, so I, I, I judged my work by the foot. You know, I had, I had the piles of bills on my desk. And I would, my boss would ask me, so how much work you got? Well, I've got about two feet, you know. And I would, I was, that's literally how we did it. It was indescribable. Um, but anyway, I was in on a Saturday trying to catch up, and I was digging through the, my, these piles of bills, and I won't bore you with all the procedures behind how we took care of getting checks out the door to these people, but I found a bill for tenting, and I don't mean, when I say tenting, I mean these, not little pup tents, I mean these elaborate kind of tents that you have when you go to a special event, you know, like the Rose Bowl, you know, you see when they get the, the blimp, you know, picture of the, of the uh, 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 Rose Bowl, and there's all these special tents that are sponsored by cor- corporate uh, sponsors and stuff, those kinds of tents. So here's a bill for, for tenting, and what it was for was the company Christmas party. Now, in those days, money was no object for these, uh, you know, high-tech companies. They just, they spent out the wazoo for these kinds of things. And uh, so they had this elaborate company uh, uh, holiday party set for the Fairmont in downtown um, San Jose. And I'm looking at the bill, and the date of the event is that night. I mean, on a Saturday, it's that night is the event. And I'm reading the bill, and it says, due in advance. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to be responsible for the CEO showing up to the Fairmont, and there's no tents there. Not only will they fire me, but they're going to put me in front of a firing squad. And I just, I panicked. I started running through the campus trying to find somebody good who could help me. And I found my boss's boss. And I just, I just repented. I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I did. And she said, hold on, hold on. 
She got on the phone, made some calls, and worked it all out. She said, no problem. She was extending me mercy. <laughs> now, after that, every time... Now, she was two layers of management above me, so I didn't have tons of interaction with her. But every time I was in a meeting with her or had to deal with her directly, there was always this obligation that hung over our relationship because she had extended me mercy. So we have trouble receiving mercy from God for some of that same reason. It makes us feel indebted to him. It makes us feel, you know, somehow guilty or smaller. And those things are true, by the way. But I mean, it makes us feel in a way that... So mercy is difficult for us to receive from God. And that's why I want to spend some time talking about it today. Psalm 103. Begin reading with me at verse... Uh, eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious. I told you there, these are both aspects of the love of God. We're focusing in on mercy and not grace today. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. And that's a, a, a def- definition of mercy. Before we go on to read uh, from verse 11 through verse 14, I want to tell you sto- another story. This story will take longer than the sermon, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me. But the reason I'm going to tell you is because it's a real life uh, story, uh, another one about mercy. But in this one, uh, many of the attributes of God's mercy can be seen, and I think it will help us as we. Uh, this morning talk about four aspects of the mercy of God. So, <clears throat> back in um, the winter of, of uh, 1993, Sue and I were asked by our denominational leadership to um, become the pastors of a church that had suffered uh, a, a real meltdown uh, on the, because of the Failures of the founding pastor and, and some other leaders in that church. It was a real mess, you know. But so they asked us if we would go and try to see what could be done to salvage this this uh, group of people who were deeply hurt and um, and so on, as you can imagine. One of the things that uh, one of the pro- there was a lot of problems, but one of them was that uh, the church was. Um, owed the IRS a bunch of money. <laughs> not a good thing. Um, the, they had not been paying their, the, uh, uh, pay, the employee or payroll taxes. And uh, so we, we needed to take care of that, which we did. And there was another, a lot of other little outstanding obligations that the church just hadn't been taken care of. And so we, we took care of all that stuff. But as, as you can imagine, this church was not wealthy. And uh, people who, because the congregation had suffered so much, there was a lot of people that split. And there wasn't a whole, whole uh, very many folks left. And so finances were not in good shape. There was, however, a fund uh, that had been created sometime in the, in the past for the possibility of, uh, in the future, purchasing property, a building fund. People, I don't know the history, but along the way, people had given some money towards a building fund. It didn't have a lot of money in it, but it had some money in it. And so, 
uh, me, along with the church council, uh, uh, decided that what we would do is we would go to the membership and ask for a vote as to whether or not they were willing for us to use the money from the building fund to handle some of these other obligations. And, and we assumed, and that was the problem. I, well, let's put it this way. I assumed, I was the leader, it was my fault. I assumed that that was within our uh, rights as a church council to pose that question to the membership. That if they voted, it was, you know, it was, in my understanding, it was uh, within the purview of the membership to decide what to do with that money. Anyway, uh, some years later now, Sue and I have, we have left that city. We've turned that church, it, thank God it survived and got back to health and the Lord used us to, to do that and, and we installed a new pastor there and you know things were off and running. But, so we moved on from there, returned to the Bay Area to start a new church and uh, so now we're getting to the place where we're ready to launch this new church and I called our district headquarters our, uh, and tried to set up an appointment with the district supervisor uh, to nail down the specifics of when we were going to start this new church, etc. His assistant uh, called me back and said, we've set up an appointment for you to see the district supervisor. Uh, such and such a date, such and such a time. But he doesn't want you to be blindsided. He wants you to know that he's going to be talking to you about something else. Huh? What? <laughs> what else? And he says, well, he wants to talk to you about the misuse of church funds. <laughs> what? And I can't explain to you. It's like somebody took a baseball bat and just hit me in the stomach. All the wind went out of me. One of the things I have pledged before God and, and you know, just worked really hard about for my whole ministry is the management of the precious pennies and dollars and nickels and dimes that people give to the work of God. The people who serve on our church council, they'll verify and vouch for me that every penny uh, that comes into this uh, church's ministry is handled with the utmost care and accounted for. Uh, there's absolute transparency. And that's the way I've always sought to conduct my, my life in ministry. And to think that someone... Um, would would even imagine that I could mishandle the 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 resources of a church just devastated me, and and I I asked you know I somehow got the words out. Can you explain? And and he said, well, it has to do with the mishandling of the uh, building fund at and he named the previous church, and. You know, within a couple of minutes, I mean, I hung up the phone and I was dazed and staggering. I actually just leaned against the counter because I couldn't hardly stand up. But after I got my equilibrium back, then I went into defense mode. And I started thinking, wait a minute, how dare they? And I, and I went and I started going through all my files and I pulled, out, I pulled out the voting records of the membership and the council minutes and stuff. And I, and I said, wait a minute, there's, I'm not going to stay. And then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, I don't want you to defend yourself. Stop. Think. Let me speak to you in this. 
And I was saying, but God, my reputation is on the... And when God is talking to you, you know, none of your arguments hold up. He's, he's kind of fall flat. So I stopped. And, and uh, anyway, uh, I'll try to shorten this up. Uh, I came to understand. I, oh, the, Lord, <laughs> the Lord directed me to reread the bylaws of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And as I did that, I realized I had made a mistake. I'd made an error. When people uh, contribute money to a specific fund, in this case a building fund, that money can not be used for any other purpose no matter what. Even if the membership decides they, don't want, they want to redirect those money. Even if the people who gave it want to redirect that money, they can't. I should have known that. I didn't. I should have known it. I didn't. And so I was wrong. Now, you know, I went to, the, to that meeting with the district supervisor. I sat across the, the desk from him. He had a big desk. <laughs> I sat across the desk from him, and he started the conversation, asked me about it. I said, well, this is what I said. I said, I was absolutely wrong. Now, I can offer you an explanation if, if it would serve your purposes, but I have no excuse. I can, I can tell you how things came to be, if that would help you. But I am just wrong, period. And I'm, I'm here to receive whatever you know, discipline is required. <clears throat> now, he, he, he said to me, I would like to hear the explanation. So I, I told him the story and everything. And, and he said, Randy, he said, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this issue is now closed and settled. We'll never speak of it again. There will be no sanction. There will be no discipline. And you never, he said this, he said, you never have to consider this issue when you talk to me, see me, or have, have any interaction with me. This is closed. Now, you hear something like that and you think, yeah, sure. Because think about this. How many of you can think of the name or, of Osama bin Laden and not think of September 11th, 2001? They go together. Um, you know people who have wronged you. Every time you think of them, you think of what they did wrong to you. You can't help it. And so my impression was, well, yeah, he says these, these things, but we'll see. Several years later, in fact, it was like, uh, I don't know, just a couple of years ago, I was uh, in a, a meeting or some place where my district supervisor was, and um, I, I, I just said to him, you know, and I, I just wanted you to know how grateful I, I have been that over these years you were true to your word and never made me feel awkward or anything about uh, what I did. And he said to me, what was that? <laughs> he seriously, he, he, he was not kidding. He, when he told me this is done, forever sealed, you never have to reconsider it, he put it out of his mind. Forever. <clears throat> There's a lot of things in that little story that illustrate mercy in terms of how God uh, extends it to us. 
And there's four things that I want to highlight from here. Verse 11 says this. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Can you tell me how far that is? You know, back in the mid-80s, we launched these uh, uh, space vehicles, these exploration vehicles, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, to just send them out there as far as they would go. We wanted to see if they could get out of our um, galaxy. And they have been traveling for over 20 years now, billions of miles. Billions of miles. That last, last time I checked in on it was probably four years ago. And they had traveled eight billion miles. I can't even imagine that. And the Bible says that God's mercy is like the dis, how, it's higher than the heavens are above the earth. God's mercy is limitless. And you cannot exhaust it. You cannot exhaust it. Even though there are times we think, well, this has got to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Have you ever thought that? You come to the Lord for the umpteenth zillion time and say, God, I'm so sorry I've done that again. Surely this is the time I'm going to end up as a dark spot on the carpet. <laughs> right? No. no. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. His mercy is discerning. What I mean by that is he discerns the difference between you and your failure. And he separates you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. When he sees you, he does not see your sin or failure. His mercy is discerning. He knows you apart from your failures. Dear one, please pause right now and let the truth of that seep down into the deep places of your soul. Because there are a lot of you sitting right here who think every time you come before God, all he's thinking about is your failures. And he's not. His mercy has separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. He knows you. He knows the real you. The, the, the you that he created you to be. Not the one stained, broken, and tarnished by your failings. He knows the real you. And that's who he sees. Verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. We don't like that word either, pities. We don't want to be pitied. And that's an unfortunate uh, use. Uh, I, I mean, I guess maybe... Anyway, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not real happy that in my English translation of the Bible it uses that word pity because of the connotations that it has. But it really just means like a father loves and cares for his child. Like a parent loves and cares for his child. That's the way God's mercy is towards us. It's parental. It's parental. 
He protects us from the consequences of our immaturity. When my son was, you know, uh, three, four years old, sitting at the dinner table with us and reaching for something and spilling his, you know, his milk or his uh, drink all over the table or in my lap, usually seemed like where, where it ended up. I didn't, I might be upset, but I, he did, I didn't punish him for that. It wasn't because he was, I mean, he didn't spill his milk in defiance or in uh, re- rebellion. It was just because he was a kid not quite figuring out how to make all his parks work just, just right, you know? His fine motor skills were not highly tuned yet. And, and uh, God knows the things about us that we do that are just purely on the basis of our immaturity as believers. And all of us are on a spectrum of growth. You know that? Sometimes some of us who are a little farther along on the spectrum, we get impatient with those who are behind a little bit. God doesn't. God doesn't. Because he knows the path that he's chosen for each one of us. And the the route that each of us takes is designed specifically for us. He's patient with us. And he knows the difference between rebellion and immaturity. And he is parental in terms of how he applies mercy towards us. And he holds back the, uh, the consequences of our acts of immaturity. Can you imagine a parent? Those of you who are parents, can you imagine... You, you decide, you know what, I see my son headed for the street. I see a car coming. I think I'll just let him run out there because he needs to learn this lesson. <laughs> no. And our God is merciful in that way too. But, but a lot of us think, don't we? We think of God, maybe not in this room, but there are an awful lot of people who think of God as like I just described. <sighs> Our God is like a father who cares for and loves his children. Finally, verse 14 says he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God's mercy is understanding and he never expects us to be more than human. I don't know about you, but that's a... That was a sigh of relief right there, folks. And it was genuine and you might want to join me. Our God never expects us to be more than human. Now, is that some sort of an excuse? Is the mercy of God some sort of an excuse? Dude, I can get away with anything. (laughs) Of course not. Why? Because in the face of the awesome mercy of God... How could you ever, how could you ever even imagine wanting to take advantage of that? It's so awesome, so to be revered and and honored that there's no way you could ever allow yourself into that mindset of trying to just... Impose on the mercy of God. So God, I don't have any fear of that happening. Sometimes preachers do though, you know. Sometimes we figure, well, if we, man, we've we got to keep this quiet. 
If we talk too much about the grace and mercy and love of God, people will just, you know, they'll just do bad stuff. We've got to have a little fear of consequences out here. Now, I, I think it's just the opposite. I think that the more we talk about the absolute love, mercy, grace, patience, forgiveness of God, the less people want to, to, to want to violate that. So, dear one, I am grateful personally for the mercy of God today. And it's my hope that, number one, if you have yet to embrace, to welcome the mercy of God into your life, that today will be the day. That's my prayer that any ways that you're thinking about the mercy of God has been misshapen by even well-meaning people. You know, those ones who wanted to put the fear of God in you. You know, f- fear of God is a, is a good thing, but it's, it's not terror. The word fear is not terror. It's respect and reverence and honoring. That's, that's what the word means in the Bible. But those who may have, inadvertently even, put the terror of God in you so that you want to avoid him my my prayer today is that you'll see the mercy of god in a different light and it will draw you to him